recording. All okay, right. Give we got a lot of stuff to do. All right. Mike, you have the wheel. Okay. I have to laugh every time Mount Calvary Church gives me the wheel. You want to talk about taking a chance. Okay. Let me see here. Uh, slideshow. All right. Hey, let's do this. You know, it, it's funny. Like, um, I was kind of excited about this since like last week to talk about this. Um, you know, as, as we go further, I'm, I'm looking for this thing to end at some point. Um, but I get motivated every time I, I look and see what's next and what's the next week to talk about. Um, so bear with me with my, you know, my simple enthusiasm here, but, um, the title this week, as we get into chapter 10, is Life After Amen, you know, and, and um, it's going to be pretty convicting, quite frankly, at least it was for me. Um, if it's not for you, just pretend like you're, you're like uh, interested and, and this is like the coolest thing in the world. Okay, so as, as we jump in, let's just, you know, as, as we do, let's reflect a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm coming to you from a, a, a hotel in Albany. So what, with this whole Zoom thing, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at doing whatever I want to do, wherever I'm at. You know, like I don't really, I've never had rules in life. Um, now this, this, this chapter in Nehemiah 10, there's some rules now and I'm starting to learn, I got to live by rules, but like I set up my own shop in a hotel. So right now breakfast is going on and people are listening to me yell in the lobby um, and teach a lesson. So I hope I don't get any, any kind of make anybody upset, but we're going to, we're going to go after it. Um, so um, this morning, just want to think about what we covered last week, um, maybe the last two weeks as we get to this part of the story with Nehemiah. Um, so think about, um, you know, kind of what has taken place um, in chapter eight, chapter nine, um, as, as we've gotten up to this point. So two chapters ago, if you think about it, uh, we had Ezra you know, standing up in front of all the people, and um, he read the law of God, okay, and then people responded um, in chapter 9 with this incredible prayer, okay, so, uh, you know, so we enter this, and now the prayer has just ended, let me, and I'll move forward to that last verse in chapter 9 here in a moment, um, but now we're going to talk about you know, what is life after, after we say amen? We made that big prayer of dedication to the Lord, okay? Um, that prayer is that personal moment between you and the Holy Spirit. Um, now, does it end at that point? You know, and I think a lot of people, uh, when I say a lot of people, myself, you know, I ended amen, and I pat myself on the back, and then what I do is say, I move on with life. Okay. And in fact, I believe after amen is when the greatest obedience needs to happen. Okay. And I think that's what we're going to see from, you know, Nehemiah here. Um, so, you know, I think at this point, the nation knows that they had, you know, the, the nation of Israel knew they had sinned. Um, and now they were taking steps of dedication and obedience in this chapter. Okay. So what we're going to do is let's jump into it just a little bit. Let's just talk about what in chapter nine, just a couple of key points. Okay. Um, 
you know, in chapter nine, it was that national prayer. And it really gave a survey of the history of Israel. They talked about a lot of defining moments, you know, that their, their kind of forefathers had experienced. Um, and, and, you know, what you see is you see when you see leaders that don't, don't function according to the will of God, they went through trials. And if you read through the Old Testament, that's really like the story, right? Okay, people who obeyed, okay, were blessed. People who disobeyed, okay, suffered trials, defeat. A lot of it had to do with wars, right? Um, so I think that was a big part of the Old Testament. Um, so I think the other thing that we looked at last week is we, we really challenged ourselves is what should be this, our stance as separation as believers. You know, and I really like this quote that, um, I put up last week, you know, and I think there's a balance between separation. Um, you know, I think there's personal separation, um, to make sure that we're committed to the Lord, but then there's also, um, you know, that, that idea that we're in the world, not of it. Right. Um, so I think that was another point we brought up and then we really challenged ourselves, hopefully this week to think about things that we can challenge ourselves with, with, um, how we can avoid disobedience. Okay, so that really um, is kind of in a nutshell where we've been. Now let's talk about where we're going. Okay, so chapter nine finishes uh, with, you know, just this, you know, um, this is the last verse in chapter nine. So let me just read it real quick. In the view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. Okay, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it, okay? So this is how the prayer ends, okay? I don't know if you end your prayers like this, okay? Um, I believe we should, okay? Um, I also believe when we say something, I am, I am probably the greatest um, uh, promise maker in the world, to my kids. Like I, I want to do the greatest things in the world. And I, I you know, I, there's no limits for me in life, but I, I, I don't do them. You know, like I've been saying, I was going to get my kids a dog since the first kid was born. Kate asked me for a dog, you know, he's, he's going to be 22. And he asked me for a dog when he was like five, you know, and I, I said, I was going to get him one. Okay. And like five kids later, I'm still, you know, Lily's asking me for a dog now. And they all tell me I'm a failure because I don't get him a dog. All right. I'm just not there yet. I'm still working on that. Um, so, hey, Ray, can you, can I make sure I hear everybody? I, oh, I think, you know what? I think somebody uh, said something. They just had their microphone on. Was that you? Okay. Sorry. Um, no, I just said, because I have a puppy. So I said, don't do it. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. My, my, I didn't want to interrupt. No, you're good. You're good, Tori. I thought I saw you talking. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got these new headphones. Is it not working? So no, you're good. Um, so yeah, my excuse has always been, you know, I have too many kids to have a dog. You know, once I stop feeding kids, I'll feed a dog. Okay. So here's where we're at. Okay. But really, really take this in as we enter chapter 10. Like, you know, think about a binding agreement. Okay. Now that they just finished their prayer. Okay. And they're making a binding agreement with the Lord. You know, like when you sign a mortgage, you know, for a couple, I'm building the house, you know, I'm going to sign my life away um, to a mortgage. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, we know if we don't pay that there, there's, there's consequences that happen. Okay. Um, when we commit to other things, we, we've seen that in life. That's the, 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 a prayer is no different, you know, it's obedience to God. And I think, 
you know, we have to really look at the Old Testament. And, and I realize, you know, there's, you know, there's some uh, trials and curses that people experienced um, that we might not be able to, um, you know, to, to understand. But, but I do think, you know, I, I do think that, you know, we have a God that, that doesn't want to be disappointed, you know, and I, I believe we have to consider that. Um, I also think that we have to be succinct in what we're praying about. You know, I think, I think so many times as we pray, we're not specific, you know, and I think putting things in writing is not a bad thing. I don't think, you know, again, I don't like the, you know, the legality of things like that, but I think when it's done personally, I think it's a commitment, you know, and I think you can reflect back on something you put down on paper. Um, so think about how commitment is in today's culture, right? How's it going in marriages, you know, in today's society? Are we doing pretty good with marriages? Not really. Right. I I mean, I think the, the greater population is, is separated at this point, right? I think the statistics have now become you're in the minority if you're, if you're, if you stay married. Okay. Um, how about parenting? You know, are people, um, are they staying into that binding agreement as parents? You know, I, I think one of the biggest challenges in schools is, they're, they're, you know, I'll, I'll speak to dads. You know, dads are not um, in the picture, okay? Uh, we can't make a commitment that way. Think about jobs. You know, a lot of people stayed with their same job. My father-in-law, I'll talk about him again, okay? My father-in-law got, you know, my father-in-law didn't make much money, okay? He, he ran around and you know, he wasn't a millionaire, but he was a, a plumbing and heating salesman. And I'll never forget, I got so mad because he got laid off by a company. You know, it, the little mom and pop plumbing and heating got, you know, bought out by the big, big dog. And the big dog laid him off. And, and the big dog that laid him off, I get to see the trucks every day where I work. And, and it bothers me. And I go through the roof, you know, and my father-in-law, I, I, I sometimes I get a little excited and I, I, I want to hear him get excited, but he looked at me and he, he took two days unpaid to go to each little plumbing and heating store to make sure that he, he told them that he's no longer going to be serving them. You know, here he got laid off and sent the pastures, an old man. And uh, that was his response was to work for two or three days to just, you know, to, to make sure he held to his commitment. And I think that to me really stands out. We don't have people like that anymore. Um, people don't, don't do that with their jobs. Now it's a different culture too. I know, I know people that, you know, we're in this you know, thing where you, you work for one tech company, then you go to another and then you go to another and you work virtually and you work in California or you work in Chicago. Um, that's a different culture, but I still think we lack commitment. Um, Again, j- just throwing this thing all out, and I really want to set the tone for you know where we are in chapter ten. Any comments thus far before we jump in? Okay. Well, you know what I'll say is Ray has again volunteered to read all the names. Okay, I really appreciate him for that willingness. Um, as we go through the first twenty-seven chapters, Ray. Um, I'm glad you prepared for that this week. So thank you. I mean, you're good. I'm just kidding. Okay. What we're going to do is this, we're going to read verse one. Okay. And I just, you know, chapter 10 starts with a listing of the leaders. Okay. Who signed the covenant. Okay. So we took 84 people. Okay. And they all agreed 
And of course, in the Old Testament, like everything else, they write everybody's name down, all 84, okay? Not that that doesn't uh, inspire me, okay? But I always dread a chapter that's got all the different, you know, names that, that, that people think that, that I got to sit here and read. I'm not going to do it. I refuse, okay? So what I would say is we're going to go by section, okay? So when we start, who was the first person to sign this covenant? Nehemiah. Thank you. That was like the easiest trivia question there was. Like, can't you see it? It's in verse one, Nehemiah, right? Okay. So when we look at leaders and you hear the statement, leaders come first, what are we to do? We're to sign that covenant before everybody else. Okay. So like, I think, you know, right now I'm in the process of interviewing for a superintendent with, uh, as part of the Christian school, right? Um, I believe we probably as believers should have signed a covenant on how we're supposed to behave when we're part of that interview process, right? We're not supposed to gossip about what's going on. Okay. We're not supposed to, um, you, you know, argue, fight or bicker, you know, um, we have to have good collegial, you know, conversations. I think as believers, I wonder sometimes, do we take a moment to create a covenant before we do things as a church? That's something I, I do think that we have to take a little bit more seriously personally. So again, in this first section, okay, we have 84 people and, and they, they call out in these first, you know, 20 verses or so, 25 verses, the different, the groups. Okay. So we start with Nehemiah. Okay. And then we get to the priests. Okay. In this first section. So when you look at verses, you know, one through whatever, eight, right at the end of verse eight, they say, these were the priests. So we, we want to make sure now think of that, you know, we're, we're 3000 years later or whatever we are, how many years later. And these names are still written down for us to know who signed the covenant. So think about the importance of this. You know, this is an artifact that went on forever and ever and ever. Okay. So if you have a leader, you have a responsibility to be an example. That's one of the first points you know, that we wanted to make. Now, as you see this, you're going to see, um, we'll, we'll keep going down, but they said many people signed this. Okay. But there were more people beyond the 84. Okay. Um, you, you had like wives and children, but in, in, in the Jewish culture here, they didn't have the authority to sign this official document. We'll see that all the way down in verse 28. Okay, so there were more than 84 people, but there were only a select group of people that were required or allowed to sign the official document. Okay, so then we see the next section of Levites. Okay, I, I'll always pause to let you take in the names. You know, you can go through the pronunciation as you see fit. Okay, but I really want to just point out the groups of people that have committed to this binding agreement. Okay. So obviously the Levites. Okay. And then we had the leaders of the peoples. Okay. So you're, you're talking about, you know, at, at this point we're, we're trying to, and again, when you have a delegation of authority, right? Okay. It's not just, you know, like I, I told you the story about when I was a head coach, you know, whether we won or lost, it was always my fault. Okay. I should have had, you know, it, I, when I introduced myself to parents, I always talked to parents myself as a head coach. I probably should have roped up the, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator to stand by me and point to him and say, hey, if the offense stinks, 
Okay. Like Joe Burton's on this, on this, on this, uh, session here. I should have put Joe up right next to me and just thrown all the blame on him and said, Hey, we're about ready to start the season. And if the offense stinks, this is the guy that you want to yell at, not me. Okay. Um, but I do think there's a covenant in place that has to, has to, you know, everybody has to assume some type of responsibility in an organization. It can't just be the, 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 the top dog, so to speak, Nehemiah. Okay. So he has a nice order. Now, of course, Nehemiah would never point out these people and blame them. But I do think there's a level of responsibility in middle management. There's a level of responsibility, um, you know, throughout any organization. And I think we have to empower people to assume responsibility. That's, you know, to me, that's another point of emphasis that we have to kind of consider. Um, are you setting up your organizations, you know, with shared responsibility, shared leadership? And are you asking for them to make a commitment? So I think, I think, I think some of this is we transfer it and, and we look in our own organizations, our own family units, okay? We have to empower people and commit them and hold them accountable to what they do. So if it's as a father, I've got to hold my kid accountable to do their part. When that trap, you know, like when I walk out of my garage and the, and the bag of trash is sitting there in my garage and it hasn't been taken to the, to the trash can, Okay. I hold my boys accountable. Okay. I come in and throw a fit. Okay. Cause they committed to not walking by the trash. Okay. I swear that, you know, I could pile six bags of trash up and, and they would trip on it on the way out to the cars that I bought them and they still wouldn't haul it to the garbage can. Okay. So I, I think that, you know, even with our kids, we can hold them accountable for what they do. You know, and, and I don't think it's wrong to have them sign some kind of commitment to that. You know, you don't go over the top, but I do think those things are good. Any comments, any good stories about covenants you've made with your children, you know, with your spouse in your organizations? I would encourage you to do it because I think that, you know, just do it because I said so does not transfer authority or does not transfer responsibility. You know, I, I worked at an organization at one point. Um, it's the one I'm in now, actually. I won't, I won't, I gotta be careful what I say, of course, because Ray records me and I've got people that know the people I talk about. So I had a, an individual that I work with. We all wear badges, right? You wear a badge that says, I work for Cornwall Lebanon School District and here's my title. And I used to have a guy that when he, he dealt with people, if they wouldn't do as he said, or if they, if they actually maybe question him a little bit, he'd say, see this badge? You know what that means? I'm the boss. Okay. And, and I think that's not good enough, you know, in leadership. Um, that's not going to help transfer authority. It's not going to, you know, you can't just say, I, you got to do this because I'm your parent. Okay. That's not good enough. At some point, your children will not respect that. You know, and I think that um, when we have covenants, accountability, reflection, that becomes then a transfer of, you know, responsibility, authority, and then it becomes an independent activity for whoever that person is, you know, whether it's your child or the person who works for you. A question for you, Mike. Uh, so this is coming at the end of Nehemiah, right? They've already succeeded in, in the initial project of rebuilding the wall. 
how important is that um, building credibility on the front end before doing the covenant uh, or is that necessary? Uh, it, just one of the things you said about, you know, just because I'm the parent or because, you know, this badge is my authority, uh, it settled, it, it, it said, well, yes, but you have to have the, the history to support that, right? It, so what are your thoughts on that? The covenant comes first or the covenant comes after a period of, um, of credibility building? Awesome. It's an awesome, uh, you know, comment, right? I, I think when you reflect back on how the wall was built, okay, everybody was given an assignment, right? I, I think we were all provided assignments. And um, I, I think a lot of the assignments were in front of our own homes, right on the wall, you know, so I think there was personal investment. Um, so I think that, you know, we, we do that and we find um, areas that are probably personally of interest, you know, uh, uh, to some degree, but I don't know. That's a fantastic question. I'm not sure I'm an expert to answer that, but I think as we reflect, you know, I, I think there's some natural uh, responsibilities that people either work for us or, or, or uh, you know, like when you look at a job description with someone who works for you. Okay. When they walk in the door, they accept the job and they know what that, that job description says, and there's some basic functions. So to me, that's, similar to building the wall, right? So when they do well at their basic functions, then at some point, I think we have to grow the employee, right? And I think at some point, then we start establishing whether it's semi-annual goals or, or annual goals. And, and that's when you start to say, you know, hey, you know, you, this is your job. I don't want to hire somebody that all they do is their job description and go home. You know, I, I want them to, to, to have a growth for themselves, but also for the organization I work with. So to me, you know, like we're doing this now, like, you know, as you interview people, like we're interviewing, you know, let's say, you know, uh, educational leaders in my organization, they come with a certain skill set, but you want them to have another skill set in five years, right? So I, I think, yes, they can fulfill a job description, but you want them to do more than that. So I think that's the same with your kids, right? I mean, you know, I think we want the most from them. So I don't know. I mean, that's a great, great comment. Anyone, any other thoughts? Go ahead, Tori. It's, it's Daisy. I was oh, just oh, under my husband's name. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tor. I just don't want to ascribe my opinions to him because he's better than me. He's a but little more quiet than you are. He is, yeah. A little more a reserved. Little more yeah, he's a lot more quiet. Yeah, he chooses his words. I wish I had that ability. I really do, but I don't. No, I mean, that was a great question. And I was thinking about it. The wall was built before the, the wall led to the commitment. And I think you need that relationship before you'll get the commitment. Do you know what I mean? Like with your kids or with, with um, your workers or anything else. I mean, people commit when they work. Because I mean, the number one reason people leave jobs is because they're managers, right? So the managers, I worked in HR, I know the step down cold. It is a proven fact that people will leave your the, the job because the boss is so bad mm -hmm. and they stay because the boss is so good. So they'll stay way beyond their interest in the job if the boss is good because they know how rare it is. And so I think you need that commitment, you need that relationship, that commitment. They, they, they saw Nehemiah, they saw what God did through Nehemiah, they saw what God did through the wall, you know, and they, so they had that respect for him, 
but they more important had respect for God because of what he did for them. Cause there was no way, even though they were the ones working on the wall, they tried before and it didn't happen. And, um, this time it got built and, um, they knew God was behind it. So I just think, and then with your kids, like number one, if you have no relationship with your kids, they are not going to respect you. They're not going to do <laughs> what you want them to do. It's because of your relationship with them that they do the things that they, you ask them to do. Absolutely. Daisy, great job. I've been up since 4.30, so I'm just reading screens and holy mackerel. I called you your husband's name. Okay, <laughs> okay. so um, one, one comment I always like to say in education, okay, with teachers that we hire, okay, um, you've got to earn the right to be heard with your students, okay? And, and I think that to that point, you know, I, I think that people think that you can just have the aptitude to be a teacher, like I know how to write a lesson plan. I know how to write an assessment and create an assessment in a classroom. That, that that's a hill of beans if the kids don't want to accept what you're speaking. You know that teachers are the greatest thing in the world because I'm gonna tell you, the students will sit there and if and if what you're selling is no good, those kids are ignorant. They won't listen to a word you're saying. They'll put. I've had I've I've walked into classrooms where there's 25 kids and half the kids are sleeping on their desk, and then I'll look at the teacher and say, Do you really think this is effective? You know, it's pretty obvious. I mean, teachers, uh, teenagers can be ignorant and I think they're great judges and that's a perfect example of that. So let's move forward. We went through the leaders of the people, okay? And then of course they talked about the, the rest of the people, okay? And, um, you know, this is where we're jumping into in, in verse 28, basically the crux of the whole chapter in my, in my view, you know, like not, not that the other verses were not important, okay? You know, we, we established the context that the leaders come first right in the beginning of the passage. We understood who signed the covenant, okay? When they say the rest of the people, remember I told you there were some people that weren't allowed to sign the covenant but agreed to it. Okay, so now we get into what we're actually agreeing to do. Okay, so when you think about, um, you know, we're agreeing to something. Okay, so what I want to do is just probably jump into, I talked about the rest of the people. Now they separated themselves from the neighboring people. So you think about like, like, um, you know, the Jews in, in, in their culture, it's not like they were living separately okay, um, from, from people who were not, you know, um, who were not Jews, okay? So I, I think that's a, that's a big uh, statement to, to take a look at here. Like as believers, we're not to be isolated, okay? Because like they would interact with um, other folks, you know, in the marketplace and things like that. But I do think we have to, you know, first thing we need to understand is we need to be separated or set apart. Okay. And, and of course we know all the scripture that, that walks alongside of that concept uh, of being set, separated or set apart. Um, you know, we don't get to decide what the rules are. You know, I think, and this is where we're going to go with this next passage. So let me just read this real quick. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separate themselves from the neighboring people for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and their sons and their daughters, and all who were able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God, 
given through Moses, the servant of God, to obey carefully all the commandments, regulations, and decrees of our Lord. So I, I think that, you know, we've got to understand there's two things they say, bind themselves with a curse and an oath. You know, the curse scares me a little bit. Okay. You know, like if I don't follow uh, the Lord's command, you know, I'm going to be cursed. Okay. So let me just put that like into perspective. I heard this pastor talk about this and it kind of resonated with me. So like, you know, that when you had two parties enter into an agreement in the old Testament, okay. A lot of times what you saw was that they sacrificed animals. So they would take this animal. This will show you my hunting background, Ray. Okay. They would take this animal and they would cut it from head to tail. Okay. And they basically cut the animal in half. And when they cut the animal in half, Okay, the animal bled out. And what they did was they had all the blood flow together in maybe like a valley. Okay, I'm not sure how this is set up. But you know, these, these people, you know, historically, they wore these nice long robes. So what would happen was, after they, they bled the animal out after dedicating the animal, they would walk through the blood, and, and the blood would stain the, the, the seam of their robe, the, the very bottom of their robe. So what that would represent is, um, you know, they were now in a covenant, right? So think about the, the visual of that. You've got blood on the bottom of the robe that you're wearing around every day. And people know, everyone who looks at you, they know that you've made some sort of covenant. Imagine if, you know, I said, I'm going to lose 35 pounds, okay? And I, I walked around with like a tattoo on my, you know, arm that said, I'm, I'm going to lose 35 pounds by New Year's, okay? And everybody had to see it as I walked. You know, that is a level of accountability that I think they had, and they held themselves to that because they knew, you know, historically what happened to Jews if they didn't obey God's law. You know, they felt cursed, right? They felt like, you know, there was punishment because they had experienced it. And, and I think this is serious. So we really have to, you know, when I go back to the title of this, after we say amen, and we agree, and we've prayed to the Lord, okay, and we've made a covenant between us and the Lord, it's serious, it's binding, okay? And, and the Jews, I think, really, that was kind of, you know, that's a, that's a, a visual for me, or just a, a memory hook, that it feels like, holy mackerel, you know, imagine if we did something as a covenant, you know, as believers. What do you think about that? Well, as you were reading, it wasn't quite as visual for me, uh, but I, I thought about how often I'm explaining to our kids why we're different, right? Why uh, our kids are in public school and we, we're constantly talking about why we do things differently than other parents or the decisions that we make um, and not in a bad way, like it's not them challenging our authority, it's, it's us being proactive and saying, hey, we know that we're different, and it, we're weird, but this is why, and it gets back to that separation uh, aspect of, of we have a different reason, a different reason for life and purpose in life uh, than everybody else, and so our, it's not really related, and it is related to leadership because it's related to parenting, but but sometimes people don't know the why and they need to know the why, right? So as we seek to lead, I think explaining that separation is important. 
Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt. And, and I think, again, uh, Christianity is ca- counterculture now. You know, can we all admit that, you know, Christianity is not, um, you, you know, the culture of choice, you know? So I think, I think because your kids are, in, are countercultural, okay, and, and are going to continue to be more and more, this makes it even more difficult, you know, for, for us to find that commitment or, or bind with that kind of agreement um, because it is, it is so different. You know, I think historically, a hundred years ago, this was not countercultural. You know, so I think that's a that's a hard change that we're seeing in society. Um, so again, you know, just just jumping through some of that. So uh, one thing, you know, again, I I talked about the Jews were surrounded by you know Gentiles who who, who were you know idolatrous. You know, and um, they wanted the Jews to be part of their social. Uh, organizations, their religious, their business, you know, it's not like the Jews did not experience peer pressure, you know, it was all over the place, you know, and I think that's what we have to understand that, um, you know, we need a balance of, of a godly lifestyle in an ungodly wor- world, right? Okay, so now let's talk a little bit, we talked about the curse, I tried to give you that just like that, 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 uh, understanding, but let's talk about an oath. What does the Bible say about an oath? And when we make an oath to the Lord, you know, uh, is that important? You know, is there scripture that supports that? And, and what I found is, as I did a little prep, you know, there was some very key scripture, very, you know, it was convicting. This is what I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I better be careful what I say. You know, like when you, when you say you're going to do something, you better do it. So, you know, the first example I'm going to use is we're going to use a couple of good leaders, right? We're going to say Moses. So let's look in numbers. That's kind of like the go-to passage, okay, for the Jews. Okay, so Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything he said. Now, okay, you know, when you make that vow to the Lord, I am never going to use profanity again. Okay. You know, I used to, I used to, I used to swear like a sailor. Okay. I I had every saying under the sun when I coached football that had a a terrible uh, connotation to it, or it had some bad language. Um, And and I went cold Turkey, you know, I'm an aggressive personality and I I stopped cussing um, because of my commitment to the Lord and it wasn't easy, okay? There, there's some people that have coached with me that, that, that know. There, there's probably a lot of times people knew something was going to fly, but I stopped it. Like, I, I would almost cover my mouth sometimes. So you think about this, okay? If you vow to the Lord you're going to do something, or if you make a vow to your spouse, or you make a vow to your kids, okay, we are obligating ourselves, and we have to do everything that we've said. So I think that we need to live in specifics, Okay. And we have to know what we can and can't do. And we can't, you know, I, I tend to throw, I launch a lot of bombs, you know, we're going to do this by dog, you know? Um, I think what you have to do too, is you have to, um, you know, take small pieces, like look at how Nehemiah organized what he did. Okay. He didn't just, you know, he knew the vision was to build the wall, which is big, right? you know, but, but there were incremental steps to get there. There were incremental goals. There were, there were commitments that were made that he was able to show achievement. And then he also created investment because people 
believe what he was saying. And I think that's part of, you know, the, the lesson to be learned. Okay. The next leader we're going to take a look at, okay, is Solomon. Okay. Now Solomon is obviously one of the wisest people around. Um, so again, let's read this in Ecclesiastes. Guard your steps when you go uh, to the house of the God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty with your heart and utter anything before God. Very key. That second verse is like speaking right to Mike Robinson. Okay. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty with your heart. Do not utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words that mark the speak, speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should a God be angry? at what you say and destroy your work at, at your hands. Much of your dreaming and many of your words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So what a great warning. You know, this is the wisest man, to, you know, in, in most people's eyes in, 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 the, in the Old Testament. And, and Solomon's warning us is very clear. And I think this took Moses's um, warning about an oath and expanded it, right? You know, so when we go back and, and, and it really talks about be careful what you commit to, you know, be thoughtful about what you commit to. Remember, if we go all the way back when Nehemiah found out in the first chapter about about the state of affairs of Jerusalem, what, you know, he, he went into prayer. You know, he didn't act immediately. And I think it, it, it's another example for us to have pause before. You know, we jump into things, you know, I'm a typical male where I work, you know, I want to fix everything. Okay. So, you know, hopefully the women in this meeting can understand that I, I was told by, you know, some females that I work with that I don't have to fix everything. Sometimes I just need to listen. Okay. And, um, you know, when they give me a problem, like, I'm like, you told me a problem, same thing in my marriage. Okay. My wife never wants me to fix something. In fact, when I try to fix it, I make it worse. Sometimes it's that, that old shut up and listen, right? And, and I think we have to, as leaders, understand when there is an issue and when we need to create a plan of action and when we need to commit to something and when we just need to shut up and listen, right? Uh, so I think there's a balance there in any kind of leadership or oversight that we do. Okay, any thoughts to that? I mean, the one verse that I think of, I don't know if you're going to get to it or not, so I feel bad if I'm going to interrupt, but the, um, the Jesus in Matthew five, I had to look it up to make sure that I remembered it right. Is this uh, the one? Yep. Okay. Never mind. Very sure. good. He, he's my last expert, Daisy. Okay. So, so again, let's, let's hit Jesus's warning. Okay. So we, we heard Moses is. We heard Solomon's. Now let's jump in the New Testament and hear Jesus's. Okay, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, okay, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or for God's throne or by earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem or for the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, 
anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So now, Daisy, speak to this one. Okay, good job. Put me on the spot. No, um, the I, I, when I was just looking this up to make sure I remembered it correctly because I don't trust myself because um, I interpret things wrong all the time. There was a good um, quote here by, and I'm sorry, I am not versed in Christianese. It's by someone named Barclay. If you all know who that is, great. I don't. Um, it says the truly good man will never need to take an oath. The truth of his saying and the reality of his promises need no such guarantee. That's awesome. Yeah. I love so, that. I love that comment. Christianese. I, I've never used it. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I'm going to start using that term actually. You know, it's funny because all of us people that grew up, you know, not knowing the Lord and just running, running, like running around like a, a wild man or wild woman. Okay. We can use these funny words like Christianese. I, I don't understand. Like people will mention someone and assume I know who they're talking about. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't, I must not be a good Christian. Cause I do not know that commentator or that, but no, you know he, he, he's, not, he, he's a very old commentator. So okay. uh, not surprised that you don't know him and he's not, he's more moderate. I really like his commentaries, but, but he's more moderate in certain things. And so like he, anyway, he wouldn't say the miracles, he, he may try to explain the miracles in a different way, okay. uh, like feeding the 5,000, but, but I really like his, his commentaries are very easy to read, but they're, they're older. So. Okay. So I'm not going to yeah, reveal don't myself. To be yeah. And I've had, a, I've had a problem lately. Every, every commentary I read is apparently not, not so good. I, I I've loved, <laughs> loved a lot of my commentaries lately and I have to keep, throw, throw a million books away. <laughs> No, you can learn from everything. Maybe, oh, Ryan's here. So we, we got Elder. Is, I, I'm under his leadership. If he tells me to throw something away, I will. So. No, this is a bad joke to ride. It's a terrible joke to ride. Okay, let's keep I'm rolling. I'm not saying a word. That's right. Okay, so let's, let's roll into, you know, verse uh, 30 here. Okay. So uh, verse 30 to 32, we promise not to give our, so here's what we're going to see at this point before I even start reading it. Okay. Within this passage that from this point forward, we're going to see five specific promises, if you will, you, you, you know, that, that are made, um, you know, we tell our kids, this is where I use this example. We tell our kids to obey, but we don't give them specifics. You know, here they're giving specifics. So let's pick out the five specifics that they, they talk about. So verse 30 says, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to people around us and take their daughters for our sons. When neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy them on the Sabbath or on holy days. Every seventh year, we'll forego working the land and we'll cancel all debts. We'll assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. Okay. Uh, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings, for the burnt offerings, for the offerings of the Sabbath, the new moon feast, and the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, the duties of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God and set times each year for the contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. Okay. Uh, we also assume the responsibility for bringing the first fruits of the Lord each year. I'm sorry. 
we also assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. As it's written in the law, we will also bring our firstborn sons of our cattle, of our herds, of our flocks, the house of God, to the priests and ministering there. So let's back back up to where we started. Okay. So in, in verse 30, there's five things. The first thing is obviously we, we don't we don't agree with mixed marriage, you know, in terms of you know being unequally yoked. Okay, it's very clear. This is something that they put out there as part of their oath or their covenant. Okay, um, you know, again, that's very specific. If we, you know, I, I was convicted as I read that. I'm thinking, have I had that conversation with my kids? You know, and you know, I need to talk about it. And it's very difficult. That's probably one of the most difficult conversations for me because I came to know the Lord through being unequally yoked. Okay. And, uh, my wife was wise enough to call a marriage off before, you know, we committed or took the oath. And I think, you know, then, then she knew she had a partner that was yoked. So I think, you know, for me, that's always a tough one. The second thing that you saw that, you know, it was preserving the Sabbath. Okay. So again, making no purchase purchases, um, you know, this is, this is one of the only commandments. So I don't believe, and Ray, you might want to correct me, it's not repeated in the New Testament, okay, because that obedience to the Sabbath, it's the only command that is not repeated because, yes, we have to find time for rest and relaxation, but it wasn't a prescribed, you know, situation like, like, like we think about it, you know, you have a lot of people say that you need to sit idle on a Sunday, okay, it's not that specific in the New Testament, okay, I do think that we have to have time for reflection and, and time away from our responsibilities of work, but it's not quite as scripted as the Old Testament, um, so again, that's uh, the second part, the next one is to protect the poor by letting the land lie, right, okay, so um, we, we know that, but I think we also think about the, the, the next part that really hit me a little bit was, you know, we cancel all debts, okay, so think from a political side, and we all kind of joke how Biden's handing money out to everybody, right, okay, but I think that, you know, there's a little bit in here that, you know, um, debts were canceled historically, you know, and people were forgiven, and there was like kind of a reset button in the Old Testament. Um, and, and I think that's something that we just have to take a look and consider in terms of, you know, this is something that took place. Um, I think it's very clear as to what they were supposed to do. Okay. And then again, the next part of this, you know, was, um, you know, as we move to the, to the next part and we, the priests. Okay. So, so then we were to, um, present the firstborn child an animal. Okay, there, there, there is this sacrificial element that was here, and then finally at the end, um, you know, they talked about the temple and taking care of the temple and and the wood uh, to burn at the altar. So there was there was a, a fire that that burnt constantly, and you had to feed the fire. Okay, and I think those were five elements that that were pointed out in this in this passage. Um, and, and they made that commitment. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not totally sure that the, the, the important part of this in my mind is what was done. Um, it's really more that they, the way they described what had to be done. And I think that's the application for us is that we need to find more detail 
in what we do and we need to be obedient to what we say and we need to be careful about what we commit to you know i think there's a there's a real logic to this as a leader um you know again i work with people i'm not i'm i'm kind of like you know i i, I get the job 85 percent done i'm never that detail guy okay and there's always that person that i that works for me that that asks me a question and makes me look foolish because they're like the hundred percent person. They, they have every minute detail down and they're reading anything that I throw up, like it's the gospel. And if I don't, if I don't spell it out perfectly in an email or a memo or a directive, then, you know, it's like I've committed a crime. And, and that's a difficult part of me being a leader because people want black and white, Okay, they don't want gray, um, they want specifics. And I think the Bible gives us the, the, the specifics and that's a learning lesson for me. Any thoughts with that as, as leaders, do you run into that? You know, again, if you've raised a teenager, they're, they're gonna call you out on every detail under the sun, okay? You know, like there's an excuse, you know, for everything. You know, I, I used to, I mean, my oldest, my oldest son and I are like identical and we would fight like it's nobody's business. And he would always find something, you know, to turn the tables and make it seem like he, he didn't do wrong. Okay. Because of this, you know, and I, I never knew for sure whether he was right or not when he argued with me. Okay. So it always did give me pause and make me upset because I'd call him out on something and there'd be some excuse that might be true actually. And maybe I missed something. Um, so, you know, just, just, just something to consider as you go through any other thoughts with this before I move on. I just wanted to point this one out as well. Yeah. Um, I, I try, I really do try not to talk too much. And then I talk a lot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're good. But, um, but no, I, I, so I read a commentary that was slightly different. It didn't focus necessarily on the, on the yes, be yes, um, the oath aspect, but that these five things were the slippery slopes for them. They were always the things that they struggled with over and over and over again. And um, so they committed to doing it so that, because they, forget how they phrased it, but it was it, they, the commentary I read was, was more brilliant than I'm wording it here, but um, something like the, like, it was easy to explain away. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, well, the, the Levites get X, Y, and Z in the law anyway. So they're taken care of, um, but they weren't right. <laughs> and so they were easy, easily explainable way to them. And so it was easy to sin because of them. So then they had to make the oath to hold them accountable to not going down those roads and so that was like applicable to me because i mean i was i think it was applicable to everybody right like we all have slippery slopes the, the things that we struggle with um and for one mike i was that teenager i gave my parents hell <laughs> i was strong-willed still to this day strong-willed um you can't convince me of anything and i feel bad and i like pray that i do not get the parents cursed and that my children do not <laughs> have to go through the same thing that I went through um or put my parents through but um there's something else I was going to say but yeah, yeah um, you'll, you'll have one for sure you'll have a kid like yourself I already do <laughs> she's fine 
five years of this. I can't imagine 13 more. So Daisy, to your point, I mean, I, I heard this in a, in a, in a sermon that I listened to just prepping for this too. And, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. I think we know what our shortcomings are personally. And I, th- I think we know what we struggle with and, and we, we fall, you know, time and time again. And I think that's what we were seeing with, you know, this, this culture and, and, and they knew what the problems were that, 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 you know, it's like repeat offenders, right? We, we, we know what we constantly aren't doing well with, and we have to make big moves, you know, like for me, I, I've got this Facebook app on my phone. And just this week, I deleted the app off my phone, you know, because I, I click on a, a, fo- a football video to watch a little, you know, two or three minute, you know, little thing. And then all of a sudden, the next video that came up was a horrible one. You know, it's not, I didn't ask for that one. I asked for, you know, uh, you know, something on the Cowboys and, and I ran it. And then all of a sudden the next video popped up and it was enticing, let's say. And it's like, oh my word, I can't control this. So I deleted it, you know, and I took the whole app off my phone. And I think those are the kind of things that, that God is looking for us to do is, you know, make, you know, make specific changes. So it's good for sure. And if, if you talk too much, uh, Daisy, I'm going to call you Tori. So just that'll be my that'll be my code word for you. Okay. Fair All enough. Right. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So let's just let's just finish up. Uh, you know, with the passage, have a little final conversation. You know, as we go through this. So um, we also assume, and we went through that. Okay, so verse 37, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of God to the priests, the first of our, our ground meal, our grain offerings, our fruit trees, and our new wine. We'll bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it's the Levites who collect the tithe in towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of their tithes up to the house of the God to the storerooms of the treasury. Okay, so I do think, you know, again, I'm not going to get that, that kind of wasn't the point of where I feel like God was leading me with this passage. But there are a lot of things that I think, you know, biblically and scripturally, obviously, when you if you don't understand tithe, and you're convicted on how to tithe, I think there's a clear message here. Um, I, I don't think for me, that's my message to jump into, you know, for this passage. But honestly, I think that's always been a good thing for me to read through the Old Testament, because I, I do think there's law that it, it helps me to process how, how my conduct's supposed to be um, and just reflect on that a, a little bit. Okay. Um, again, the passage finishes with the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions, grain, new wine, olive oil, the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of God. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, Jesus said where your treasure is, there's where your heart will also be, you know, and I think that, um, you know, that's so evident as we're, we're taking that oath. And, and I think people are looking, I really struggle. We have a lot of people with good head knowledge and, and know their theology, but I, I don't know that all the time that people see the fruits of the spirit. And I, I think as leaders, that is so difficult because like, I, you know, I, I have 500 employees and, and for me to be personable, and authentic in every situation, every single one of them is, is very difficult. You know, I want to be kind to everybody, but at the end of the day, the pace is pretty heavy. And, and I think that I can come off standoffish at times to somebody, or I make a quick 
sharp comment because I'm just trying to get on to my next thing. Okay. And I got to be very careful about each interaction because people are judging you by those interactions. Um, so again, in leadership, it depends on your scope. And I think that, you know, we have to be very careful a, a, as we function. Um, any other, any other thoughts? I think, you know, talking about that with your, your interactions and what, what people think, um, I've often also thought when I walk away from something like that, what did God think of my interaction with this person? Did, was I, was I honoring him? Was I, was I glorifying him? Was I bringing that person to a, uh, not just a, I wouldn't say a better relationship with him, but um, did they see Christ in me uh, through each interaction? And it's hard, I'll, I'll tell you, because you have a job to do as well. And I think the waters get muddied. You know, I think yeah. it, we got to consider that we're always a ministry. Okay. Um, we're not, you know, we shouldn't always be on the job, you know, and I, I, I think for me, that's, um, that's been a challenge for me, but as I get older, I, I tend to not take things so seriously that I used to, you know, like when I lost an argument 10 years ago, uh, there was, there was, you know, blood to be had, you know, I wasn't going to lose an argument. Now it's kind of like if, if, you know, I, I use a statement all the time, here's my two cents, take it or leave it. You know, if you don't want, to, if you don't want it, I usually make a really strong statement. Okay. I throw some kind of grenade, but then I walk, walk away and I turn my back and it blows up behind my back. And, and if you want to listen to it, great. If not, no, no sweat off my back. Um, I found that serving on boards now and serving in leadership groups that um, here's one piece of advice I was given in a leadership group. And it's perfect for me. I tend to talk over people and I tend to drown out that person that doesn't speak. Okay. So like I work with a lady that's just like, um, she, she's very, she's like a genius, but she doesn't say a word and my strong personality, I I'd talk over her and then we'd finish the meeting and we go on our way. And she had about 10 things to say. I've learned to start inviting her into the meetings by asking her what her thoughts are. And, and our, our production as a leadership group has gone through the roof because Mike shut up, Mike stopped being aggressive and he actually invited the quiet person into the discussion. And I think that's how I've been approaching leadership teams a little bit. Now, it's not perfect. I mean, Ryan sits on one with me. He'll say, Mike does talk a lot. Okay. Um, but it has gotten better, I have to say, over the last 10 years. Um, I want to go Depends through one. Depends on the copy intake, Mike. That's right. You're right. That's right. Okay. Last scripture. And then I'll, I'll kind of close here because I want to move forward and get you on to your Saturday. Okay. Um, Matthew 12, 25, he says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So, you know, what is your kingdom? You know, what are you talking about? Are you talking about, you know, Mount Calvary church? Are you talking about your marriage? Are you talking about your role as a parent? You know, you can substitute whatever you want, your ministry in, in where the word kingdom is, you know, and I think that um, you need to be very careful um, that, that, you know, about the inner workings of, of the people you serve, you know, and I think as a leader, that's where the covenant, the oath, you know, has a great deal of value. Um, and I think that we have to hold it in high regard. 
Um, that's really in, in my mind, that was what I got out of this whole passage in chapter 10 is, is, um, you, you know, the seriousness of what we say and what we do and what we commit to. Okay. Any final thoughts? Yep, I got 730. I didn't even look at a clock. Boy, the Lord really fixes this. He shuts me up right at 731. Okay, he holds me right, right to where I need to be. What kind of thoughts do you have to close? I always love your parting words. One thing I was thinking, um, I, I think it was a James Dobson, maybe focus on the family, saying um, rules without relationship equals rebellion. You know, when we were back talking about uh, parenting, and uh, I think it applies to so much more than just parenting. Um, so, yeah, I, I often, you know, when I'm getting on one of the kids or, you know, having to lay the law down, I often, that, that, that saying always hits me. You know, how, how is my relationship with them? Am I building into their relationship, not just laying laws down? Because um, the law part is easy. You know, that's like, hey, thou shalt not. You know, that's the easy part. The relationship part is the part that takes the time. It takes the um, energy. But it also, I think, I find it's the most rewarding. Um, you get to see into their personality and, um, you know, what makes them click because they're all different than me. Um, and it's kind of challenging at the same point because, you know, even even at their younger ages, they have they have stronger you know, in some areas, they're stronger than I am. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, it's, it's cool to see that. So I wanted to say two cents in back there, but didn't, didn't see the, didn't see the opening, but yeah, that is, uh, that's one thing that's always stuck with me. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. It's good. Anything else? So we, we have, um, there's three chapters left in Nehemiah, and I'm, I'm likely going to cover uh, chapter 11 and 12 next week. So I'm looking maybe two weeks left, Ray. Okay, then we'll, we'll kind of go on hiatus. I, I, everybody's commitment to this has been awesome. Um, you know, I find it fascinating because I'm reading through the Bible in a year with some other, uh, some other guys, and uh, we're, we're just about to hit Ezra. And I'm pretty excited to, to backtrack here and understand the book of Ezra. Um, just so I can understand better Nehemiah, you know, and I think it's all connecting. All the dots are, are connecting better for me now as, as you get a little deeper into, into the word for sure. Um, you know, again, I, I, would, I, would, I would say to you that you really need to reflect on those three verses um, about oaths, you know, from Solomon, Moses, and Jesus. That, that was to me the convicting part as I read a I can't remember where I got it, whether it was from a Warren Wiersbe book or something that it really just st stuck to me. Like I, I've got to be so careful. Um, and I think that's when you look at Nehemiah and, and his leadership, um, he knew when he was to be at the, at the front of the line and when he was to be at the back of the line and he knew when to speak and he knew, knew what to speak. And I think there had to be just a huge degree of, you know, um, just prayerfulness around that, every, everything that was done. Okay, any other comments, questions? 
So we were talking about commentaries or earlier. Wearsby is absolutely one that if you ever want to buy a commentary to pick up, pick up Wearsby. Uh, super easy. I love. He's got a pastor's heart. I he, he's my favorite commentary uh, set to go to. So. Yeah, that, those books. Every time I read a, a book study in the Bible, I go on to Amazon and buy one of his. It's a B series, right? You know, and and he he is a good. You know, I, I've probably got ten or twelve, fifteen, something like that, and and um, it's it's worth every penny because I think it's one of those books you can pull off the shelf whenever you need it. It's a Pastor Dan book. Like Pastor Dan will drop two or three books off at my house when I tell him I'm reading something, and. Um, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do one of these days. You know, I'm going to be that old guy throwing my Wearsby book at somebody. Hopefully that's, that's the goal. All right. Listen, everybody have a good day. It was great seeing everyone. It's a great group for sure. Thanks, Mike. See you, bye. Goodbye, Lily. Thank you. Dog. See ya. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, Mike. Yes, sir. Who, who were you just talking about? What was the name? Warren Wearsby. Say it again. Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby. Okay. Yep. Thank La you. Last name is spelled W-I-E-R-S-B-E. -E. And, uh, okay. you know, so like each book it, it'll talk about, like if, it, you know, I, I like uh, one time I studied the book of Daniel. Okay. And it's like, be courageous, you know, is the title of the book, but he goes through chapter by chapter. And, you know, like the funny thing is, it's not like, it's not this deep reading, Joe. You know, so like if, if, if you're going to like when I read the book, Nehemiah, uh, and I, I read chapter 10, he might have seven pages of reading that goes with chapter 10 of Nehemiah. Okay. You know, so it's good stuff. And, 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 you know, it's probably taken me 10, 15 years and I've bought different books and now I'm starting to be a little bit more sy systemic with it. And I want to buy as I read through, you know, selected chapters, I'm not just kind of spitballing. Yeah. So good stuff, buddy. It was good to talk to you this morning. Yeah, you too. I hate to tell you, I was, I was working out while we were doing this and it was fantastic because I've been in a rut with this working out a little bit since I got my COVID shot. I feel like I had like brain fog for two weeks. Is that right? I've heard that. And I, I didn't work out at all. And I just, I've been struggling to get back into it, doing the same thing routine over and over again. And I'm longing for this, right? Mm -hmm. What you're providing me. But I also know I need to take care of myself. Sure. And um, so I had the program on mute and I just listened to this as, as we went. And I'm telling you, I feel like very different, much so much better. Like it served both purposes or what I needed. That's awesome. You know, so thank you. Well, and I think about it, man, put your earbuds in and get after it. I mean, that's, that's what's funny because I think um, – the group that we have, like I'll get a text message through the week. Like the one guy who's on this all the time owns a Chick-fil-A up in Harrisburg. You know, he, yeah. he's been doing the trainings with his employees the week after. So we'll go over a chapter and then he does his weekly management meeting. Yeah. Okay. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what pressure. And then, and then the other guy who's on here, he runs a big insulation company and yeah. he's doing the same thing with his employees. And I Is think, it? you know, it's, but you, the differences in people, it's unreal. I mean, and I think too many times when you teach people, you know, I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I'm just facilitating, you know, right. I, I prepare and facilitate and, and it's amazing. You get a lot of smart people in the same room and, and they have different applications. Yeah. It's, I got two big things today and they actually came from Ryan at the end. Um, 
he said rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, that's important. I think, especially then when I listen to how you talk to Kate and how Kate questioned the specifics of everything growing yeah. up, and that's, that's what my Adam does all the time. And, uh, he always wants to get me on this details. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not real detail on too with, with some things. And, um, that's big. I think that's really important. That really hit home to me. And then the other one was our, what's our kingdom. Yeah. And just my family is my kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like my outreach, like, you know, I really like relationships with people. Like I love people. Oh, so sure. that outreach I think is important too. And, you know, I think like, I know you relate to work back a lot because we spend a lot of our time doing. And this week I met with, um, our elementary team, but I just invited one of them from each grade level. And guess who showed up while she was on five days vacation? Dawn Kavik. Wow. From the beach, logged into the meeting to be part of our team. Wow. To design what next year looks like. Wow. And, and I think that, I think that helps because everyone's seen her rebellion. Yeah. But then just the fact that she did, and she didn't just log in and do what I did today, sit in the back. <laughs> she, she positively put her voice out and, and let us, as she always does, takes us on a right when we were, when I was going left, but she was there. Um, but well, she's a good example, Joe, that I, this is, this year is the only year I've ever seen her as rebellious. I, I've thought pretty highly of her and all my experience yeah. with her, but this year it's like, she's fallen off the reservation, but it's just emotional. It is. And then, and then, but, but to have that, rebellion but to come back to relate what brought her back i think is that relationship with her kids and she does care about the teammates so take the name out of it i just even think like that's cool that situation because without relationship you probably don't come back right you probably just stay away and that's the same thing like with our kids Mm -hmm. you know when we discipline them or we have that moment and they go to their room or they go to a friend's house you know do they want to come home you know um and that's one thing like I've been trying to think about too, is just trying to be a better parent and relating that, like giving them, someone said the why today, like what's the why? Oh, yeah. Like they have to understand the why. I think that's so important too. Well, and I would relate back to Kate again at 16, we had a terrible incident. And from that point forward, all of my kids, okay. I really didn't discipline anyone, you know, yeah. like, like I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's a need to discipline Okay. I think it really comes down to the conviction of the the kid's heart by the Lord. You want them to have a relationship with the Lord. And if they do, you don't need them obedient to you. You need them obedient to the Lord. Yeah. So it's got to be a conviction. And for me, what I started to find out was, you know, I can have forced conviction, but that's not healthy. Right. How long does that force last? Yeah, it doesn't. And it doesn't transfer. And and I think for me, I realized it because I was, I was threatening Cade's life you know, with right. following what, what I want them to do. And that's not going to lead to autonomy, you know, right. I think, I don't know. It's good though. Hey, I'm, I'm proud of you for sure. I mean, your, your, uh, your testimony is, is it gone leaps and bounds of where I ever thought you'd be. I mean, I didn't, you know, like, like for me, when we first started coaching, I, I mean, I didn't see religion, you know, yeah. I saw it as, I mean, you grew up Catholic, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was real rules based and I'm sure, but I didn't, I didn't just see, not that I didn't know it existed or did or did not exist, but yeah. I see your faith loud and clear. Yeah. I think I grew up 
uh, knowing Catholic and knowing the rules and knowing, you know, what I was supposed to do, but not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my wife knows this and I've talked with friends about this. I always thought like, well, everybody says like they came to Jesus, like they came to know Jesus or accept God in their heart. What does that feel like? What does that mean? Like, I just felt like that felt so foreign to me mm-hmm. because I felt like he was always supposed to be there. And, but it just almost felt like on a, I truly felt I believed and I did, but boy, it wasn't in my heart. And, mm-hmm. and I know the moment it came into my heart was after I got married, you know, through with Abby, her helping me. And then with, with children, when I had children, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I am right now. And that's where um, it, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then it's um, like you said about, you know, at some point today, it's not your job or things like that, but it's your ministry, like 